Welcome to the Beer Sec Ops Podcast. Yeah, I said beer. Some had to go to make room for beer, and it wasn't going to be sec, was it? And we need those ops guys, so sorry, Dev. Beer Sec Ops, who will be having conversations with cybersecurity industry influencers and frontline DevOps warriors to help provide us with a cloud-native security blanket. To those who are treading lightly into our hazy DevSecOps world of rainbow shundering unicorns. Hello, hello, and welcome to Beer Sec Ops. I'm your host, Steve Jaguer, and in this episode, I have Cheryl Hung talking to me. Cheryl was recently promoted to the CNCS VP of Ecosystem, and without any real surprise there, she grew that end user community to the largest of any open source foundation or standards body. It has been an incredible feat. And in this episode, she talks to me about that creation of end user community, the results of her latest initiative in the space, which is called the CNCF Technology Radar, and of course, very exciting, the upcoming virtual KubeCon 2020, of which she is a big part. So let's get to it without any further discussion. Here is Cheryl Hung. Cheryl, thank you very much for being on. I think this is my first video version of Beer Psychops podcast. So there you go. You awesome. Are- I'm really glad to, uh, to be the first video podcast, video cast. Video cast? Yes. I don't know if that's a thing. It's a thing now. Uh, <laughs> amazing. Uh, Cheryl, I've seen you all over London. I, that's where I kind of live and inhabit, but we've never actually met. Uh, you are a bit of an icon in the cloud native industry. Uh, you're kind of giving me a funny look when I said icon. <laughs> oh, hold on. Not David Bowie icon, but like a Professor Brian Cox kind of icon, let's say. No, very. I'm okay like, with that. I'm okay, okay with that. <laughs> no, it is funny. Like, I, I grew up in London. London's my hometown. So I have a lot of affection for this city. So it's just sort of fun to, to meet people around town and to hear what other people are doing. Yeah, it's definitely hopping in terms of uh, cloud native ecosystem. And I spend a lot of time at other meetups like my command stuff, SecOps, uh, London Gathering. It's, it's, it's amazing how you can, when we're not on lockdown, you can spend every single night meeting new people at meetups in the space. Uh, and you run the cloud native um, meetup when it's mm-hmm. actually on and even the virtual entity. And that's still going, of course. That is still going. Yep. I mean, one day it will be great when we can all get back together again, but for the moment still going. So um, I run cloud native London on the first Wednesday of every month. So that will be, I'm sure there'll be one coming up pretty soon. Very cool. So do you want to do a sort of um, you on a postcard, a quick intro? I mean, there are so many intros with you out there, but there are going to be people who don't know who you are. So I'll, I'll hand over to you briefly just to give people a quick history of yourself. Mm, absolutely. So, yeah, my name is Cheryl. I'm the VP of Ecosystem at the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, which is the home of Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, and lots of other open source projects. So my own background is as a software engineer. I started out at Google writing C++ and deploying it using Borg. Borg obviously later inspired Kubernetes. So you could say that I've been thinking in containers and cloud native since about 2010. Um, And when I left Google, it was kind of a natural thing for me to go from 
you know, I've been doing this myself as a developer to advocating for other people to adopt the cloud native paradigm and techniques and technologies. So via developer advocacy and running the cloud native London meetup, that's kind of how I found myself where I am now at the CNCF. And at the CNCF, my mission is really to drive adoption of these cloud native projects. So I primarily work with end users, companies who are adopting cloud native, but not selling products or services. Okay, so that, that's what VP of, of ecosystem means. Weren't you previously the director of ecosystem? Is that the same thing? Or is that a, is that a step up? Uh, in terms of the actual, uh, my area, it is the same thing. It's a promotion because um, CNCF is, it's been incredibly successful in many ways over the last four years since it was founded. Um, when I joined, which was two years ago, 2018, there wasn't really much of an end user community at all. And I've spent the last two years really building that out. So now as CNCF is maturing as a foundation, we want to put more effort behind this end users and increasing their voice and getting them active and engaged within open source. That sounds awesome. And I think that's absolutely essential in the kind of growing and changing ecosystem that it is. So if it, if it didn't really exist, now you sent me some materials before we even started, which was, I think I mentioned to you before we even started recording, turned into a real rabbit hole where I went down the cloud native end user community. I started reading all sorts of case studies, which are fascinating. And you can tell us about some of the key ones there. Uh, and you called the cloud native end users did I read that right? You call them canoes? Yeah, I was uh, experimenting with this new term. And there is a reason for this. It's not just, you know, insanity. Um, the reason is that I think when people hear end users, they automatically think passive consumers, right? Just people who consume, but they don't really contribute back or have any say for themselves. And I wanted to change the, the thinking about this because as I've been talking to many of these end users, I realize they have a huge amount of knowledge and real world experience that is hard to find. But the challenge is that they're often prevented by PR and legal stuff from actually doing or saying what they can do. So the idea behind like, let's change the, change the framing around this is like a canoe is not just like a sit back passive, you know, passenger on a ship. A canoe needs to get somewhere, right? It needs to make progress and it's not going to get necessarily into the depths of, you know, every single project. It's going to be skimming along the surface. And also we need more boat metaphors, right? We never have enough boat metaphors. <laughs> so I thought it was cute. It's like cloud native end user, C-N-E-U, call it a canoe. Yeah, I, I like it because you're right. They, you have control over the canoe, but at the same time, you're kind of at the whims of the body of water that's carrying you, and that can sometimes take you places that you didn't expect. For sure. Excellent. Things move Excellent. fast in this space. You know <laughs> as well, Steve. Yes, yes, indeed they do. So I've seen you've got, what, upwards of 140 different companies mm -hmm. as part? Is that, is that a right now? Is that, is that, am I right or wrong, or is it yeah. more than that? Yeah, it's just over 140. How did you convince 
So you mentioned that what is something I was going to ask you about. So do you, how did you get past the legal, the NDAs, the kind of things that prevent people, people from being able to tell their story so that we can learn from it? Or were they kind of keen and they found a way? I would say that maybe 5% are really keen and they really love getting involved. Mm-hmm. For the rest, it's um, kind of a hard slog in many ways, okay. you know. Um, we try and do. We try and provide some of these programs, like the case studies that you already mentioned, where we do all the heavy lifting. Like we write it out, we just send it for approval, um, and we try and tell people that there is benefit to getting your name out there. You know, it shows that you're solving interesting challenges using a modern tech stack, and that's really good for hiring because if you're a developer. You want to go somewhere where, you know, a company that's friendly towards open source. Absolutely. And I think it also, I think deep down, beyond all of the the legal kind of, I guess, hurdles that might be involved in doing this, being part of a community that is embarking, that sounds like another nautical term, on this kind of journey, it can be, it can be nerve wracking it could be a part of establishing best practice and you need cohorts to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. So something I've heard multiple times from people is we really want to find people who are in the same boat as us, like on the same kind of, I know, I'm sorry, same kind of journey as us, but six months ahead or 12 months ahead. And we want to learn from what choices they made and whether they would make those same choices again. Um, I think this is pretty common. Like you want to find your community of peers and solve these challenges together. And there's no reason why, you know, you can't go to a vendor and ask them about what they do, but vendors tend to have their own perspective, right? Vendors will not tell you don't use our products, use this competitors. So I think having this end user community makes it a bit of a safe space where people can really give their honest opinions. Yeah, I think you're, you've characterized vendors very well there. The, uh, the, <laughs> I don't well, want I mean, to, uh, you know. No, you're uh, right, you're right. The full disclosure, I, this, everyone knows this is uh, powered by Aqua. And well, well vendors do get an, an interesting perspective just from my own perspective, because I do get to talk to a lot of different people. N- never is the conversation truly open and honest. Although as much as we try to be that, right? So it's, this is a fantastic uh, mechanism in place. So how did it get, like, who's, was it your idea to get it started? Uh, was it a slow start? And is it, has it gained the kind of momentum where now it's a little easier to get people involved? Yeah, so it started out from, in fact, the very founding of the CNCF. So before I arrived, the charter as written by Craig McClucky said that CNCF will be three equal pillars. So one would be the CNCF projects that everybody knows, Kubernetes and the like. One would be the vendors, primarily vendors who control budget, marketing, contribute the money to keep the foundation running a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And then the third pillar of it would be the end user community as the people who actually have the real world experience of deploying cloud native. So for the first two years, it was 
a bit of a slow start. Um, there were companies there, but there was no real community. It consisted of a mailing list that didn't get much traffic and some monthly calls, which didn't get much traffic or attendance. Mm. So I was kind of hired in to be like, to say end users should and can be more in this space. So let's elevate them. Let's build a real community around this. So for the last two years, a lot of what I've been doing is not so much, uh, you know, telling people this is what CNCF thinks or this is what, you know, an end user thinks. My own principles about community is that you need to empower other people. And, you know, I think uh, somebody told me this the other week and I, I think it sums it up best. Uh, as they were saying to me, like, Cheryl, what you've done for the end user community is to give it support and a bit of guidance, but to really let go so that instead of being a CNCF sponsored corporate discussion group, it's really our own community. It's driven by what we care about and it's really our own thing. So that mindset shift, I think, has been my my biggest change that I've seen over two years. Wow. That's, that's an awesome achievement because it's, it means it should be easier to bring people in because people talk, they shift companies and they start to say, this is a great thing. You've got to be a part of it. So hopefully that's making this thing a little bit, I just about said viral there. You can't they maybe <laughs> inappropriate. Well, one of the, one of the things I find really interesting and I think really differentiates end users from vendors and projects is that end users are not driven by self-promotion in the same way that, you know, vendors like to talk about themselves, projects like to talk about themselves. For the most part, uh, end users don't want to talk about themselves. They just want to find their peers and talk to each other. So the challenge has been like, how can we make visible some of these discussions without, you know, compromising the anonymity and thereby requiring PR approval for everything, which closes down conversations really quickly. Yes. So that's kind of where I'm thinking about going forward. It's like we have this community now, people really love it. People really engage. It's just at the moment closed. And I'd love to get that increase that visibility. And that takes us to, some of the other things you've shown me or I've seen you present already several times since June, and that is your uh, tech radar that you introduced. Do you want to tell us how, what, how, is that how that started was coming up with this as a kind of light bulb moment where you thought I can use this to an um, anonymize this information. So I came about it sort of flipped about the other way from it. So okay. various conversations I've had, people have always asked me, like, we really want to know what other people are doing. Like, we really want to know what do other people really think of things. And, and so the question was, how do we find a format that will let people express what they're using in a sort of easily digestible way because if you ask people like hey write up 40 pages of the last two years worth of stuff people are not going to do that um so it was more about like how can we make it really easy for people to contribute their opinions and ideas and make it safe for them to share it so that 
you know, the general public or the wider community can benefit and hear about what's what's happening within the end user community. Um, and the tech radar was inspired by ThoughtWorks, the original tech radar. Uh, so we kind of made some adjustments around it to fit it towards be more community driven. But that's where that idea came from. It, it really came about from people saying like, hey, like we really want to find out what's happening with other people. And that's what I mean by like CNCF, like we can support, we can give some guidance, but ultimately it has to be solving real problems. And yeah, and the tech rate, the, the, the radar format is actually really easy for people, I would think, because it, it kind of is generating data based on just kind of filling in some blanks and without having to really express yourself in a way and it's codified very simply. Uh, maybe just if you don't mind, quickly go through how, how that works. Mm, sure. So the idea of a tech radar is that there are, I mean, visually it looks like a radar. So usually there's rings that are going, you know, smaller and they go outwards. And the idea is that things closer to the middle are things that are more, um, more mature, more stable. Other people are using them. And as you go further out, things are either too new or people are moving away from them. Roughly, that's the overall principles. Um, more specifically, we had four levels. So the idea was to say, like, inside your company, do you advocate? Do you is this part? Is this project or technology part of your golden, blessed, you know, perfect standard path to deploy? Um, is it something that you're currently trying out? Is it something that you uh, would assess as, as an early stage project or is it something that you would put on hold? So you're moving away from it. You no longer suggest deploying new things to this technology. Um, and then we just asked the 140 odd companies what their views were around one specific use case. In this case, we picked continuous delivery and just aggregated all of that information and presented it on this visual graphical radar. So if you asked 140, how many got on board with that? If you asked everybody, what was the uptake? I think for the first one, we have 31 companies respond, which compared to the usual survey response rate of like, mm -hmm. 1%. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty good given that this was like the first time we've ever done it. And actually I'm really interested and in, I, I love the fact that you found it kind of clear or relatively simple to understand because that was my worry about it. Like would people really get the difference between these different parts of the radar? I, I think it was really simple. I don't know if it's because um, not that I'd seen the ThoughtWorks tech radar before because it had crossed my path before but i was familiar so with in, in a previous previous life employer whatever uh we had a thing called bsim if you're familiar with building security maturity model where we it's similar to thought to that where it's a descriptive view of security where you ask people what their uh, methods are for security and you plot it in exactly the same way so when i saw it i thought oh this is why don't we use these formats more often? Because they make complete sense. I mean, if it's towards the middle, that's good. Mm. If it's on the outside, then it's not good. It's just like a dartboard. It kinda, it, it's so clear at a glance. 
And it seemed like, this is why I wondered if it was a light bulb moment, because I think when I saw that it was there, it was almost one of those things where I thought, why didn't I think of this? Like, it seems, <laughs> it's, it's really effective. And the results of, that you showed during your presentation, and by the way, if you're watching this and you're thinking, what presentation, Steve? Just Google Cheryl and Tech Radar, and you'll find seven versions of it. You, you can go to my blog as well. So my blog is uh, oicheryl, oicheryl.com. And as Steve just said, I've, I've presented Perfect. on this a few times. So yeah, you can find the I'm going to put that up on the screen. There. I will edit Perfect. and it will be there while you're watching. So it, it, it's amazing. But what I, I, I don't want to say I laughed a little bit, but I did a little bit when you went through the different adopt trial assess holds and all the different CD technologies that you had presented when it was a very nice concise set how many was there it wasn't it wasn't hundreds it was like 20 uh, no it was like 15 ish i think yeah. 15 20 it's very easy yeah. yeah very easy to digest very quick for companies to go through and say well it's only this many i can say i can give it kind of a one out of four rating as mm -hmm. to where i think they all fit and i can just not rate some if i don't really know but i laughed at jenkins because it's like marmite exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> like um, so if you look at the results, you see that Jenkins, everybody knows Jenkins, right? So mm -hmm. basically every company had a response to it and, you know, 50% of those were like, yes, we're, you know, we, we adopt it. Great. We use it. Definitely recommend. And the other 50% were like, no, no out the door. <laughs> um, so exactly like Marmite. Yeah, it was pretty, and that is the, that is what it, I think I probably see it was perfectly reflective of what we see day in and day out in terms of people's reactions mm. to whether it, it's there or not. And even the ones who said it's on hold, they're probably still using it. They just can't figure out how to, how to move away from it yet. Cause it's so ingrained in their lives. It's, I think people, yeah, kind of uh, subconsciously think this or know this about Jenkins, but when you actually see it in numbers with real companies behind it, then you're like, oh yeah, Jenkins really is a controversial uh, result. Yeah, it's it is it's fascinating, and but it's moving on. I mean, you had Jenkins X in there as well, which is awesome. Uh, but there were some clear kind of um, let's call it adoption winners, and that that came out of the the CD experiment, which were Helm and Flux. Yeah, which is yeah. Which is cool. I don't know if you if you have a, a personal opinion on that or not, but um, those are those are being highly adopted in my vision of what I see. I I think so. And the interesting thing, of course, is that these companies are not a purely random sample across all the companies in the world. Right? Mm -hmm. These are companies who are really at the forefront of cloud native. They believe in it enough to join in the community and and be active and be part of cncf so you are only seeing a a one slice one opinion of what's out there but i think still you're right it's really interesting that flux and helm came out as clear winners clear adopt um, winners from that and so that probably reflects why you know both helm and flux are cncf projects for instance yeah, it's kind of nice that those won. <laughs> I know people were like, "Oh, did you did you like nudge the data to do that?" I'm like, "No, I could. I'll show you the the actual numbers and 
you know, maybe you would choose some other answers, but for me, this is what I thought was fair and reasonable. Yeah. And you're not at all insulted by the accusation. <laughs> no, I mean, this is, it's, I have ethics. <laughs> well, you know, people, I've heard people say, uh, how do I get my project onto the next tech uh, radar? And I'm like, uh, have, have users using it? That's a good, <laughs> um, you know, maybe you want to suggest your users join this end user community as well, but you cannot pay for it. You cannot just ask to get put there. Mm. So in that sense, yeah, you have to have some, some rules or understanding about what this, what this really means. But on the other hand, like I've also had some really nice feedback where people say, uh, oh, you know, we have such a huge long list of technologies that we need to evaluate. And we've always struggled with prioritizing which ones, because we've got limited time. And seeing that Flux came up in Adopt is really awesome because now we're going to just take a look at that sooner rather than later. And I think that's the right way to look at it, to use this information, to use this radar. Yeah, definitely. Actually, you probably don't know this. The Beer Psychops episode one is about Flux. I'm talking to Andy Martin about it. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I know was, Andy. That well. was back in, yeah, Andy knows everybody. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, that was episode one because that was when, I, when we first started talking about it at the same conference and we did a podcast on it because it seemed like it was up and coming. And I can actually, now I can tell him that he's the reason that it won on your... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Andy's going to appreciate that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is like nice to see that these um, people are really finding it interesting and valuable information. Like the idea was never to say like everybody in the world should use Flux or everybody should use no. Helm. It's just if you need a CD solution and you're interested in seeing what other people use, here's a kind of simple overview, then it's still up to you to decide what makes sense with my tech stack, with my requirements. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. And when you, and, and the most popular slide that people like to show at cloud native meetups is of course your landscape slide that is the eye chart of all the different uh, logos. And so if that, if some poor person who's just about to make those decisions gets that as a first impression, the tech radar will be a very welcome site. It's, the landscape is, is awesome, but it's overwhelming. So I hear this all the time. People say like, where do I even begin? You know, how do I even like, there's probably, you know, 5,000 projects on there now. So it's just, it's a little too much choice. Yes. It does make for a fun slide. <laughs> People but, are scared. Yeah. They are a little scared of it. That's amazing. I did see that you also threw out there uh, for the next tech radar. Are you taking votes? Is that still open? Yes, it is still open. Um, in fact, we've just kicked off the next one because we're going to publish it in September. So within the next, I don't know, probably pretty soon we're going to pick the, the next topic. So if you're interested in expressing your opinion on what you'd like to see, then cncf.io slash tech-radar is the place to go. That will redirect you to a GitHub issue and you can just thumbs up things that you want to see. Amazing. And definitely don't do what I did and create 17 GitHub accounts and put a thumbs up on security. <laughs> don't do that. That would be Hey, I mean, 
if uh, if people want to hear about security, then I mean, to be fair, this is not actually gonna. It's not a. It's not really a vote, right? It's mm. it's not like the number one thing will will be chosen. Um, but the idea is that as we run this going forwards, we're going to pick companies from the end user community and get them to form a radar team inspired by the Kubernetes release team and say like, okay, for your for your, the next one, you are now in charge of this. So you get to pick the topic with, look at this GitHub issue, here are what other people are interested in, and then you can decide the final layout of how it looks. Very cool. What's gonna be awesome is that by the, you've created something that by the time you kind of get to the end of all the different categories, you absolutely have to start again because the whole landscape will be changed on CD. I think it's going to move very fast. I mean, when I was originally thinking about this project, I thought, let's do one a month. And then I thought, one a month, I'm not going to have time to do anything else in my in my life. So um, maybe one day, maybe in, you know, once we've got this up and running and it's a smooth process, then I would love to see an even more regular releases of these radars. Because I actually think it's really interesting myself just to see what people are using. Oh yeah, it, it is. It is one of the one of the best and most concise pieces of information that I've seen in a long time. That makes me very happy to hear that. Oh, excellent. So you mentioned not having any time. Uh, can I use that as a opportunity to talk about KubeCon? Of course. Which is imminent on everybody's mind. Uh, it's it begins on. I'm getting constant reminders that it's that it's coming um i mean we as a vendor have a presence there as well and i'm super happy that i don't have to organize it because it must be i think for anybody who's converting something that was a live event that looked like one of the most difficult things already ever to organize and then suddenly have to flip that into a virtual format that is essentially all new so maybe give me a bit of a feel for your involvement there and some of the challenges that you might be uh, witness to. I'm You're excited. absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, Steve. Um, it was a bit of a shock when coronavirus hit and, you know, Amsterdam that was planned for, gosh, April, May, uh, suddenly had to be cancelled, suddenly everything has to change over from a live event to a virtual event. So I really hope that we've done a good job because you know, we all know virtual stuff is not going to be the same as face-to-face. -face. Like It's a different experience. It mm. comes across differently. You expect different things from it. But I really hope that people feel that they can still be part of a community and in fact, there might even be people who could never have afforded, didn't have the company sponsorship sponsorship to travel to a KubeCon before. And this gives them that opportunity to be in with the community at, at a KubeCon. So yeah, I think it's gonna be an experience for sure. I think it's just gonna be really interesting and we'll just keep iterating because Boston is also now a, a virtual event. So. When that comes by, we're going to take all the learnings from this one, this first one, and make Boston even more awesome. Wow. that's It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I'm, I'm already thinking forward thinking, when we do go back to live, 
you will obviously learn a lot about the virtual side of it to see if you add hybrid events that allow, as you said, people who can't afford to go. People, like, I'd be curious to know what the uptake is and if there's more people coming to the virtual than there could ever possibly have come to the thousands that were at the last one. Is it looking like there's, is it more popular? Or I don't actually have the numbers off the okay. top of my head. So I think we'll find out after, mm. you know, we'll, we'll, we always do a transparency report, conference report okay. after each one. So we'll actually have the, the real numbers in there. But, you know, I, I love, actually, I'd love to hear from you, Steve, like what's your impression of virtual events? It's the content's still been great. In fact, in some cases, better because of the sort of global access to speakers and meetups. But I've missed the community part. Like, like it, you can't all really be there yeah. and chat. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Uh, just today, in fact, I watched a video um, which someone had shown some, someone had used some footage from a past KubeCon and they'd shown the sponsor booths and they'd shown all the conversations people were having around, um, you know, the talks, the coffee tables, everything. And I was like, oh my God, like I miss this so much. Like I miss being with people, with the community. Like I really love the fact that um, I, I'm very proud of what Cloud Native London has grown into. And the content is for sure one part of it, but the other part of it is that people really care about it and they come because they want to talk to other people and, and you know, have those really interesting conversations. So I am with you on that. I really miss the, the community people side of it. You're gaining a lot of information from experts, but you don't kind of get the, the vibe from those in the trenches. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely agree. But I also think that if you're listening to this podcast and you've never been to a meetup before, then maybe a virtual meetup mm. is a good way to get in without it, especially if you're not in a place where you can physically travel to meetups because you don't have a lot of local ones. A virtual one might be a good first step to just get a feel of how it works. Um, and then you can yeah. get into the community more later. Yeah. So th any, that's, that's awesome. So are you, you feel you have KubeCon in hand. Uh, it's all just going to smooth as a sailboat, trying for nautical references. <laughs> um, I think that um, obviously the last few days before an event are always the most stressful. You've got to make sure everything, you try and cover everything you can. I think it's going to be really fun. And I hope that people will come and join and see, just see what it's like as well. Um, I am definitely, definitely keen to hear from people as well, like what, what their feedback was, uh, how we can make it better for next time. Excellent. Okay, fantastic. All right. Uh, that probably is a good spot to end, but I'll give you one, uh, an opportunity. Is there anything you wanted to say that I maybe didn't ask you that you thought, Steve, why didn't you ask me that? Uh, I don't think so, actually. I think we've had a really great discussion. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me on Beer Secops, Steve. Amazing. Yeah, that this has been great. Thank you for being on the show. Um, good luck with the next Tech Radar. Good luck with KubeCon. I will be sitting there watching it all play out. It's going to be amazing. 
And that is another episode of Beer Sec Ops. Beer Sec Ops is powered by Aqua Security and assisted immensely by Shirley Fried and edited by Taylor Sattler. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.